So um, let's get back to functional medicine and your approach to investigating um, gut health issues. How does it differ from conventional medicine? So what tests would you do for somebody who comes in with, say, they've got brain fog, low energy, they're bloated, they have frequent bouts of either constipation or diarrhea, what, what would you go about? And if they've had an endoscopy, they've had colonoscopy, they've not seen anything so, in tests. Yeah, I usually uh, make sure that all the conventional tests uh, being done already, so and the most common conditions were ruled out. So if, let's say, if those all those tests are negative and colonoscopy is uh, normal, right, or gastroscopy is normal, so then we go with more advanced functional medicine testing. In functional medicine, we test... Uh, the whole microbiome. Uh, we test more in more detail uh, for parasites, for worms, for yeast. For um, we test how well digestive system bro- breaks down fat and uh, protein. So we test for digestive enzymes, and we test for inflammatory responses in the gut as well. So this is uh, it gives us a better uh, picture, more broader picture. What exactly is going on? Uh, in the gut and those are more novel ways of testing so because uh, they're used not only uh, quantitative but also um, uh, not only qualitative uh, but also quantitative um, measurements so we know how much of certain bacteria are in the gut so is there a balance between even normal and conventional bacteria because all of those factors might uh, contribute to the symptoms basically same symptoms uh, tens and hundreds different reason why that pers- person is experiencing those symptoms and the challenge is to find what exactly so what is the root cause mm, i mean it is such a it, it's such a new field of of research because um i think the, the gut microbiome or the gut you know the, the balance of gut bacteria changes from day to day often from hour to hour, depending on what meal you've had. So what tests would you use? Because I've heard some people say that breath testing is more accurate than stool testing. And so what what tests do you use to identify, say, the balance of good and bad bacteria and the parasites, the fungi, and all of the, you know, all of the various factors that contribute to this, this, this milieu of, 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 of um, the gut microbiome? Uh, so breath breath tests we do either to to rule out H. pylori, yeah, very common bacterial infection in the uh, in the stomach, or to uh, if there is per, per patients is uh, suffering from bloating to see if there's a small in, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We are testing for, for, we are doing breath tests only for those three conditions. I would say. Um, and there's a different type of uh, a breath test as well. Uh, but the microbiome testing is slightly different. It's broader. So, so breath test might also help us as like an like additional piece of information to that. But I usually in my practice start with microbiome, uh, microbiome testing. And another uh, thing that also not, doesn't have to be tested, look, food intolerances, right? So I usually do... Uh, elimination diets. So sometimes even before I do uh, microbiome testing, because uh, if the symptoms are mild or recent, so or just or the history suggests that there's a very likely some specific food sensitivities, 
or the cost are also uh, a, is a concern for a patient, right? Which also happens sometimes. So it's uh, usually I go for four, six weeks, and after that, uh, after that time, we reintroduce that eliminated food and we challenge. So right, if some, if some symptoms reoccur, so very likely that food is a triggering factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think elimination diets are. Like you said, they're accessible, they're free, and they're easy to do. And um, the one that we did on our our health program was only three weeks long. It's twenty one days, and then we were reintroducing, and we saw, you know, significant changes just in twenty one days. So, you know, it it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. I know that people probably get the idea of, um, the thought of abstinence of deprivation. Oh, I'm not going to be able to eat this. I'm not going to be able to eat that. But I, I used to call it the illumination diet, not the elimination, because it illuminates all of the things that you can have. And it gives you this new world of addressing your diet because you have all of these different foods that um, don't necessarily need to contain refined sugars, don't necessarily need to contain gluten um, and, and uh, lactose as well. So it's, I don't think it's, it's difficult in today's modern food environment to be able to do a gentle elimination diet. Um, and often it's those common triggers that are upsetting people, isn't it? Those common dietary um, components. Um, so what are some of the most common dietary components that you come across that seem to um, trigger symptoms in people? Uh, so the most common would be dairy, right? Dairy is huge, yeah. Also the, uh, a bit of confusion around uh, lactose intolerance or dairy intolerance. If we are talking about lactose, uh, lactose intolerance, we are talking about very specific condition when there's a deficiency of enzyme that breaks down that sugar, right? When we are talking about food intolerance or uh, when person is reacting even to uh, lactose-free milk, we are talking about casein, a casein intolerance, which is a protein in the dairy. So. Those are two very different uh, uh, conditions, I would say. Yeah, uh, that's that's the one thing. So gluten, definitely eggs. Eggs are also quite common. Um, and legumes, those are, I would say, top four. Yeah. And uh, would you th- is, is this down to things, especially in legumes um, and vegetables, things like... Um, oxalates, phytates, these chemicals that are, uh, in, are natural to the plant, uh, they, they're, they're, the, they're the plant's protective mechanisms and they can often aggravate uh, the human gut, right? Because they don't want to be eaten and their defense mechanism is to, because they can't move anywhere, they have these chemicals which aggravate the gut. And I think, you know, there's a lot of understanding around this now, especially in the circles of Paleolithic diets and carnivore diets and, uh, you know, people that have been on highly plant-based diets for a long time and, and, and not, not, not really thrived. And then they've gone on to a more omnivorous or a more Paleolithic, uh, you know, not to use these kind of buzzwords, but a, a more balanced diet and realized that taking out some of these plants and some of these uh, legumes has actually improved their gut health. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? That it is. So that's why, again, uh, it should be personalized, right? Because I don't like to restrict uh, diet, to, to restrict my patient's diet, unless it's 
it's absolutely necessary, right? Because as we know also, the more restricted uh, the diet is, the less like vibrant and there's less diverse our microbiome is. So the approach should be personalized. Absolutely. I mean, as, as, as we mentioned earlier, the, the gut flora or the, the, the bacterial diversity is different from person to person. We see that in conditions where people are, you know, struggling with, you know, being slightly overweight. People who have mood disorders, we see that there is a certain pattern within their gut microbiota, within their balance of their gut bacteria, um, and that can just be the presence of too much of certain types of bacteria and uh, a reduction in other beneficial types of bacteria. And it's now such an emerging, uh, you know, kind of area of, of focus in medicine. Um, it's exciting to think how far we can go to really, you know, kind of get to the root and to think that we're hosted on this planet by bacteria. If it wasn't for the, the you know, the, the, the kindness of bacteria, we probably wouldn't be alive. And, you know, there's more b- bacteria in our gut than cells in our body. So it's really interesting to, to go down that, to go down that route. So when you talk about elimination diet, you talk about testing, um, what about what you know? I think elimination diets are something that people can do. They don't need to. Uh, they, they they don't necessarily need to pay any money or to seek intervention. But what other things do you think simple things that people can do to improve their gut health right away? You know, without having to you know do anything heroic or pay lots of money. What do you think people can do? Uh, so if we're talking about like a healthy or relatively healthy uh, gut microbiome that still can be uh, improved right so then first thing is a fiber right fiber is super important and and i can see that uh, very few of my patients actually get enough uh, fiber fiber when i say fiber it can be uh, fiber from vegetables yep uh, and and fruits berries and and for those who are toler- tolerating legumes so it can be legumes as well right so uh some type of fiber are more beneficial for our microbiome so then there's more research for for example on inulin inulin can be found in uh, asparagus artichoke apples uh, true apples also have pectin right that's also works as a uh prebiotic for our uh, microbiome uh pomegranate is huge in the research actually so to grow yeah, pomegranates for especially to grow a certain type of beneficial bacteria. So, and I use that in my practice quite a lot. Bananas, especially like a green banana, so there's like a, star- a starchy uh, fiber right, vegetables. Uh, potatoes, but cold potatoes, cold potatoes, cooked but uh, cooled potatoes. Yes, because that starch in the potatoes is more resistant so it's not as uh, uh, when you eat it uh, in hot like uh, just uh, freshly boiled for example or freshly cooked so that's more starchy and uh, carbohydrate sourced uh, uh, sourced uh, food but when it's cooled down so it's more like a, a fiber source of fiber yep. leeks another good one as uh, well le- right berries right all all types of berries and are are great and this type of fiber um let's 
because this is a good segue into the next question which I wanted to ask you about because a lot of people get confused about prebiotics and probiotics. So we would call these foods prebiotic foods, right? Because they're feeding the good bacteria that we want. You know, the fiber gets down to the colon, helps to provide energy for the good bugs um, and that promotes better gastrointestinal, uh, you know, kind of balance with 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 the bacteria. So... What is the difference between prebiotic and probiotic? Uh, so uh, probiotics are actually the bacteria themselves, right? So, and the most common ones, the lactobacteria, bifidobacteria. So, and there are some other more novel uh, probiotics. Let's say like I can see Achermansias. You might see uh, Saccharomyces that are used for special conditions in special situations. But uh, those probiotics are bacteria themselves. A life organism exactly prebiotics is things that feed those bacteria sometimes some type of bacteria like a probiotics are a prebiotics for other type of bacteria but if we are talking about prebiotics more in general so definitely fiber yeah phytochemicals whatever you see those like nice pigment color in fruits and vegetables and berries it's those are green tea, for example, those are phytochemicals. Uh, fermented food is uh, is a prebiotic for our gut microbiome. So if we're talking about fermented food, it can be, um, uh, let's say, fermented vegetables, right? So sauerkraut, exactly, and kimchi, uh, pickles, uh, like for the Kefir, exactly for those who are like a Greek yogurt. I like Greek yogurt for those who are not sensitive or intolerant to, to dairy, for example. But there is also coconut yogurt available, uh, kombucha, definitely. So, yeah, all of those uh, ferment, type of fermented food are prebiotic for our microbes. Right? Yeah, and they also have good bacteria in them as well, yes. like the lactobacillus. Lactobacillus, yeah. Yeah, so fermented foods is definitely a good way to go, isn't it? But there's also postbiotics, so we can talk a little bit more about that as well. So basically, postbiotics is a type of molecules that are produced by our gut microbiome. So let's say uh, here we, are talking, we might talk about short-chain fatty acids. And this is actually, the, let's say, signaling molecules between gut and brain. And here we have a whole connection, how a good diet, good diverse microbiome, uh, secreting a good amount of short-chain fatty acids is affecting our brain health and might, might potentially reduce anxiety and depression. Wow, so do, does this relate to serotonin? Because serotonin is pr- mostly produced in the gut, right? That is a little bit different, yes, but uh, this is another way how, how gut is connected to our brain health. So maybe we can talk about this uh, in, some, in another time, yes. But basically, serotonin is another molecule that is secreted uh, by healthy, diverse gut um, microbiome. So, yeah, and has the same effect, calming, relaxing, reducing anxiety. Yeah, Yeah. okay. It's amazing, isn't it, how uh, we're, we're realizing now that the very things that we put in our mouths affect just about every aspect of our lives. Um, so you've mentioned diet as a simple thing that people can do to improve their gut health. What else can they do? What else could they do? Um, avoiding antibiotics. 
when it when it's possible when right it's possible, please yes. consult your doctor when it's possible because i still can see that uh very often antibiotics get prescribed for common uh cold and till now some patients are not aware about the harmful effect of antibiotics on the gut microbiome but when antibiotics are necessary they are necessary right uh staying on a restrictive diet for too long so let's say like a fasting uh, uh, or a keto diet or let's say like a carnivore diet. So any type of diet, like it has, it's probably if you're doing it, it has certain purpose. Yeah. But uh, we don't have enough data that those kind of re highly restrictive diets are safe on the long term. So uh yeah for a short period of time at least that's what i advise my patients for a short period of time that's fine but then it's kind of should be like a phase in and out so it can alternate yeah i think some of the healthiest diets in the world have the most variety of foodstuffs and we can look at hunter-gatherer tribes and see the amount of foodstuffs that they actually eat and it's yeah it it, it, it significantly outweighs the the, the traditional cannibal or the modern western diet yeah and that's what we have in the research also there's the the more diverse a microbiome is the, the less uh likely you'll like it it's mm. like a long list of different different mm. conditions so, yeah so a diverse microbiome has a protective uh effect yeah and just going back to pro probiotics because um, I think that probiotics, a lot of people, will, you know, they might have had a course of antibiotics and then they might be told um, by the, the gastroenterologist or by the GP that they should take some probiotics. But a lot of the products uh, that, that are out there uh, on the market are not necessarily tested um, to, a, to a high level, third party tested even. So like any kind of medicine, I think there should be a, a, a patient-centered approach. And so because there are so many different um, balances and types of bacteria in the gut, is it wise to do your do your due diligence before you start picking up any probiotic supplement and, and maybe being tested to find out which um, strains of bacteria you may be deficient in or that you may be over-prevalent in? And so the ones that you're taking... And not going to exacerbate because you know these probiotic supplements are generic really um there are some very good products out there um i don't know whether you care to mention any that have been rigorously tested um but i think it's really important that you know you don't just treat it as a one-size-fits-all approach to you know any kind of functional gut disorders what do you think definitely so testing uh, if that's possible uh, would be preferable but that's not always uh uh, an option so yeah and then you know if we, when we're talking about probiotics i think the negative effect of probiotics is so in general i can say because there's such a low dose probiotics that i can see in the market so they are relatively safe but uh when there's already let's say increased intestinal bacterial overgrowth so actually probiotics might uh, make you even more bloated might give you a constipation or or diarrhea so in certain situations they are not advised so or they should be added on a certain stage when you already eliminated like uh, harmful bacteria so in the like as the like as a step two they might be introduced so they're not 
safe for uh, everybody, I would say, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shot in the dark, isn't it, for many? And usually the probiotics that showing a good effect, there is like a decent dose, right? So if uh, your doctor is pre- prescribed you for uh, whatever reason, so the probiotic should, should have a good strength. Uh, so not one, two billion or sometimes a million of certain bacteria. So that doesn't do a much difference. And we have to remember that probiotics, they really don't stay in the gut microbiome, in the, in the gut, right? So they might, they might protect you, whether like, let's say for a traveler's diarrhea, they're quite, they work quite well. And after antibiotic treatment, but the food that you, that you are eating is the main factor that is going to give you a more like a, a table and diverse microbiome rather than those probiotics. Yeah, we've become obsessed with taking, uh, re- reducing things down to single nutrients or molecules or, um, you know, kind of components of a food stuff. And our bodies recognize this whole matrix of a food. So even something like juicing, where you're, you're taking fiber out, a lot of people think, oh, that's healthy, but you're just getting a big hit of sugars, right? And you're missing out on all of the insoluble, soluble fibers that are, are locked up in this matrix of, 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 of the part of the food that you've just discarded. So, yeah, I think, it, and, and even, even kind of making a smoothie where you've got everything in, the fact that you're breaking it down, you're breaking down those cellulose walls so much, you're still inhibiting a, a really important part of your own digestion as well. So, you know, it really, I think evolutionary wisdom is, is really strong when it comes to eating, isn't it? Just eat whole foods. Um, well, amazing. We've, uh, we've covered a lot there. And um, I think we've given people some very practical you know, kind of steps and insights to be able to, um, you know, maybe improve their own gut health. But if not, then coming to the Osteopathic Health Center, where we've got an amazing team of um, integrated practitioners who can, you know, look at you both functionally and really do tests and, and really help you get to the bottom of any kind of uh, mysterious health ailments maybe that have been hanging around and you haven't really got to the bottom of. Because let's face it, the conventional uh, ways of testing thing doesn't always get to the bottom of a lot of modern symptoms and conditions. So, um, you know, please feel free to pay us a visit. And with, with January around the corner, everybody wants to get fit and healthy. So we're here to help Dr. Saida. Thank you very much again for your time. And um, I think the next time we will talk will be on the third most common thing you see in clinics, which will be mental health. So thank you very much. And um, I look forward to the next time. Thank you.